Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode. I'm back with another 21 and Sensory podcast and today I have special guest Nick Ransom who is joining me. Um, Nick works as a freelance television researcher and digital video producer and I'm really excited to have him on. So Nick, did you want to do a little introduction, a bit of background to you? Yes, hello. Um, I'm Nick. I'm a TV researcher based in Manchester in England and yeah, I've been in the industry for about three years now uh, and I was diagnosed with autism whilst at university which was about f- coming on four years now so yeah I think ever since that that's happened that's been a, a great blessing in disguise really so yeah it's great to be uh, on your podcast today thanks for having me <laughs> <laughs> thank you that was a very good introduction let's start with the sort of autism diagnosis and then we'll kind of chat more about your work I think mm. was it sort of something that came out of the blue or was it something you were slightly aware of growing up that you might have had some sort of issues Mm. yeah it was it was a funny one really because yeah I'd kind of made it through my teenage years and yeah it certainly wasn't the smoothest but it it got to kind of the end of my teenage years and I'd always kind of had problems with uh, my parents in the sense that I was always very resistant to change or if something went wrong like my printer broke or my laptop broke I'd I'd be distraught and yeah Mm. I kind of sensed something maybe was a little bit off but I didn't quite yeah pick up on it until yeah, the end of my teenage years where my, my parents and I, yeah, we're kind of continually falling out over my, my, my most, mostly my, my fault, 99% of the time my fault uh, of just kind of being, you know, either too sensitive to things or, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just just kind of acting up and, and being, you know, kind of letting my anxieties out on them, should we say. Um, so it got to the stage where, yeah, my mum went to her GP and she, <laughs> she essentially said, what's wrong with my son, but in a kind of nice way. Um, <laughs> and and the GP said to her, oh, right, from, from what you tell me, it sounds like it might be autism or Asperger's, you know, maybe look into it, see what he thinks. And yeah, my mum came home and told me this and I was a bit like, right, okay, I'll try not to be offended by all this. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with it. Uh, but no, I, I kind of rejected the idea straight off and I was like, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like me. Yeah, I'm not disabled. Yeah, leave me alone kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, a few months later, I was at a, uh, a festival and yeah, it was a case where I was with quite a few you know, different people and there was obviously music and lots of people around and yeah I felt like that day a switch was was kind of off inside me or something wasn't quite adding up so yeah I remember driving home that day and I was I was thinking what what could possibly have made this day so much more challenging than it it should have been and Mm -hmm. you know I kind of thought back to that conversation with my mum and it was a case where ah yes maybe she maybe there's some some truth in this so yeah I got through the door and did my research and yeah I kind of went from zero to 100 as as we do um and kind of was like all oh, right we, we need to get this diagnosis now um and so I went back to university I spoke to my GP and they kind of sent me off and I was very lucky and I know how privileged I am to, to have this but I was seen within about six months and um yeah I, I was diagnosed after a little two-hour consultation so yeah I remember that day being one of the, the greatest days of my life it was blue skies uh, I remember it being a very cold sort of day in, in Chester where I went and yeah it, it was the beginning of a total shift in my life of of new um of newfound um kind of self-acceptance and I just knew much more about myself and I was able to research and connect with different people and and I think especially in the industry I've now gone on to work in um you know this mm-hmm. this under, uh, autistic people and neurodiverse people generally are very underrepresented uh, underrepresented so I think it's it's important that you know we speak out about it and you know I love doing things like this on, on podcasts and uh, you know, everyone I've spoken to in my industry are very uh, keen and, and open to hearing about it. So, yeah, that's that's great news, really. But yeah, that was the, the diagnosis, as it were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, mm. Really interesting to hear how it kind of stemmed from your mum, kind mm. of taking it upon herself almost to yeah. Yeah. to kind of go to the GP. Because I was I was wondering, like, you know, how you kind of first approached like the doctors, but mm. I guess. Yeah. It was nice in a way that your mum did it and then you could kind of do it. Yeah, it was, it was a really strange, yeah, really strange sort of period. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny. Like That's how I remember it, I think. But it probably was, yeah, slightly, slightly different to that in the sense that, yeah, it, it just, it just caught, you know, I don't really remember having that conversation with my mum initially about, you know, oh, you might have autism. That's just what I remember as happening. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but but yeah, I can't can't remember much more than that, other than you know just a continual battle between my parents to try and make sense of things. Because you know, I think when I was at home and growing up and being at school, you know, I'd be absolutely fine during the school day, or uh, and I'd be fine academically, and then I'd get home and yeah, I just let all my stress out on them, unfortunately, which um, they did incredibly well to to put up with. And uh, I think the only thing that my mum said to me, you know, after my diagnosis was, I wish I'd known earlier because it w- would have made our lives all so much easier. But no, mm-hmm. they're, they're genuinely so chuffed that I've managed to, you know, work things out. And, you know, I'm now living the life that I want to live in, in the industry that I want to be in. So, um, so yeah, I mean, all credit goes to them for <laughs> putting up with me for 20 years and then, and then kind of pushing me in the right direction. Yeah. Because that's exactly how I feel about like my parents as well. Like my mum mm. after the assessment was like, you know, if, you know, why could, why, why did it take so long for us to find out? Was there something I could have done? And my assessor was just like, well, no. <laughs> and mm. it's just, you know, your parents having to like put up with, mm. you know, just having a child who's just a bit different. Um, mm. So I can definitely relate to how you feel. Yeah. I think it's, 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 yeah. I mean, autistic parents, I think are the, the unsung heroes as, as it were. And, mm. and, and, you know, we're a very challenging bunch, not from our, you know, it's not a fault, is it, that this has happened, but um, yeah, I, I think they deserve all the credit in the world, really, but um, yeah, that, I was lucky to have my mum who who kind of spotted something amiss and, and yeah, went to the GP, yeah. It's really interesting, and so what year of uni were you in your first or second year when you... Yeah, I was in my second year, so I remember going to university being the most well, traumatic is probably a bit strong, but yeah, most challenging <laughs> period of my life in the sense I was about to, you know, I'd lived in the same house for, you know, 18, 19 years and I was now going to have to live and you know, go and live on my own essentially and, and work out things for myself. And um, I chose Manchester for some reason. I grew up in the, in the south of England, kind of in the Surrey, on the Surrey Berkshire border. And yeah, it was a case where I was like, Oh, can I really, can I really do this? Go and live with, you know, loads of other, you know, teenagers and, and, and be on my own in a totally different city. And yeah, I remember that night before and, and that day when I left, I was, I was distraught, you know, it was like my whole life was just totally being changed. And yeah, I, the first term was tough, but yeah, it was the second year I got diagnosed. So I think the first year I learned quite a lot about the fact that, you know, I'm not a big fan of large social gatherings. I'm not a, a mm-hmm. fan of, um, you know, noise. And and that kind of sensory uh, situation was really heightened, really, uh, in that first year of university, whether it was people shouting in the corridor or whether it was things going on outside or just, you know, just the total, total change of, of lifestyle, I guess, uh, that, that totally kind of threw me. And it was, yeah, it was a challenging first year, but, you know, academically and in terms of university, I did absolutely fine. And, you know, I settled settled in well to kind of the academic studies of things and getting my essays done. You know, I enjoyed being, I was studying TV and radio, I should say, uh, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, it was only the second year when I, it was, I think it was the, yeah, the summer of, or maybe, so maybe my mum actually spoke to me kind of at the end of the first year. And then I went to this festival in the second, just before the second year during the summer. And then... Yeah, it was February 2017 that I was diagnosed. Um, yeah, as, okay. as autistic. So yeah, it was kind of middle. Yeah, middle of my time at university because it was a yeah three year course. And did did you sort of go back to university and sort of tell people about your diagnosis initially? Like, mm. were your university sort of helpful, or did you decide to kind of keep that private? Mm. Yeah, no, I did. I I remember the the. Uh, what was that the psychologist saying that you know you should share this with the university because it you know will give you extra support and mm-hmm. it actually really helped in terms of um yeah explaining to lecturers why I was a certain way I mean again as as we all know we kind of mask we can mask you know people on the autism spectrum can mask it rather well um mm-hmm. depending on uh, your needs but yeah it was a case where I, I ended up saying to my head of, I think it was the head of head of the course or something that this is this is how I'm uh, this is how I've been been diagnosed, and I'd had a f- few not fallouts, but disagreements, shall we say, with a few lecturers over their <laughs> over their teaching styles. I was a little bit honest, and it didn't go down very well. I remember with with one lecturer. Um, so yeah, I think it helped explain a lot of things, and if anything, you know, it was embraced, and I was yeah, I was kind of I felt more like myself as as time went on. So yeah, it was it was a very strange strange sort of period to happen whilst I was at university but I mean the University of Salford uh, where I went um, at Media City were just great in terms of you know I was given uh, kind of directed towards counselling and you know lots of different 
you know well-being support so yeah mm-hmm. I can't can't fault the university in terms of supporting me and I think generally there needs to be more uh, support for for autistic and neurodiverse people generally in society not just universities but I think yeah, yeah when when they found out and when I told them they were they were very yeah very helpful oh that's great that's really good to hear I mean mm. it sounds kind of from start to finish like it was quite a positive sort of thing your diagnosis because I know you know not not everyone has such a kind of positive outlook and, you know, potentially having a label and stuff like that can be quite sort of distressing. But mm. it sounds like you you went through like the process and you've come out kind of being potentially sort of kinder to yourself and understanding, mm. you know, your needs and stuff like that. More. Yeah, I think that's it. It's, I mean, I think even just in the last few months, I've been trying to focus a bit more on, on loving myself and, and not mm. kind of being too critical because I'm a very critical person of, of myself. And I think that's because I, I want to, you know, to be the best I can and I've got high standards for myself. But um, yeah, university, it was, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, it was a success. I mean, I, I you know, I was very lucky to get a, a first and my final project that I did was a, a radio documentary on a, somebody who was autistic actually. And, and that was something that was, you know, a great way to, to finish off my time at university was to, explore a story that I love and and you know kind of tell myself through someone else if that makes sense so Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was a great great three years and then um yeah I'd met uh met somebody at the end of uh, kind of my time at university and um yeah I kind of needed somewhere to stay in Manchester so I yeah I moved I moved (laughs) moved in with them which was um yeah kind of at the end just after I, I graduated yeah Okay, so you're you're still living there now? Yeah. Uh, well, we've moved flat since, but yeah, I'm I'm still in Manchester in the in the centre. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh wow! I mean, just the fact that you, you know, for any child leaving or young adult leaving for university, that's a huge thing. But mm. for someone who is autistic, I know you didn't realise at the time, but that was a that was a huge thing to do to move out of somewhere you've lived all your life and to have to live with students who can be (laughs) slightly nightmarish and very social creatures. Challenging. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think had I been diagnosed earlier, you know, the age of eight, which was, uh, you know, know, really young, like, you know, know, many people are, I think Mm. I would have been held back slightly and I might have not been as ambitious and I might have said, right, let's, because I was thinking about going to Portsmouth University and that would have been a bit closer to home and, um, you know, I wouldn't come up to Manchester where, you know, a lot of the media industry is now. So I might have played it a bit too safe, really. And so actually not knowing about my struggles probably pushed me in the right direction. You know, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today, I don't think, if uh, if I'd known I was autistic you know, early on in life. Because, yeah, people, you know, you would, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but, you know, I think people will naturally say, oh, maybe, maybe best if you do that. And just, just naturally out of, of kind of care for you, you know, oh, maybe yeah. you should do that. Um, so, yeah, if anything, I just kind of battled on and, and I'm lucky to have, yeah, now been able to, to cope in a city, what, 200 miles from home. And yeah, so I think you've got to be, te- you've got to be very careful about telling yeah young people that they're different and that they can't mm-hmm. do things. But yeah, it's, it's a delicate balance, I guess, isn't it? Exactly. I think like, I get exactly what you're saying. Like, is that's such a different outlook to have to be you know actually I've probably gone further than I would if I had that sort of diagnosis but you're right in a way because you know if I'd known sort of younger I think you know there would have been some sort of limitations and I might have said you know oh Emily that you know you're shooting a bit too high there mm. in terms yeah. of this university or you know trying to get this job but you're right in in not knowing you just keep pushing and trying <laughs> yeah 100% Hundred percent. Yeah. What sort of age did you get into television and radio? Because I've I've kind of trawled all over your website in the least stalkerish way possible. <laughs> That's good. It's an, it's an extra one on the count. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw it's kind of from like an early age. You were quite sort of fascinated by sort of cameras and like filming yourself. So was that yeah. something that you've always kind of been leaning towards, mm. like job wise? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it was a case where I was about probably eight or nine or. You know, for as long as I can remember, really, I remember being, you know, watching TV and thinking, "Oh, well, that's fascinating. I wonder how that happened, or I wonder how they did that." And um, yeah, I remember walking around with my with a little microphone when I was younger, kind of, I don't know, interviewing my parents or you know, something, just kind of constantly recording. If, if you know, as soon as I could get my hands on something that that would record something, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of about age. Let me think. Yeah, I would have been about twelve when 
I did an interview at school, which is on my website, and it was a case where they asked you, what do you want to be when you're older? And at this point, I was all very interested in the role of a presenter on screen. You know, I'm, a lot of people like this, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I want to be a TV presenter, which I think was kind of, you know, the only face I really saw on TV. You know, you only see the presenters really, don't you? So I was yeah. like, that that's quite cool. And yeah, just, you know. I was always somebody who could, I'd like to think, talk, you know, quite well, <laughs> quite well. And yeah, so I, I kind of put that as my my dream. And yeah, age 12, I kind of said that on camera, which was a little interview we did at the end of year six, I think it was. And then, yeah, I, I was like, you know, I've got little cameras for my birthday and for, you know, Christmas. And, you know, I'd just be taking, initially it was photos that I was kind of, you know, I did a lot of photography and then it kind of evolved into the world of video. And yeah, I, I, you know, record a lot of stuff. And as time went on, I kind of, you know, tr- tried different types of editing software that was, you know, free on the internet and was uploading to YouTube. And yeah, I think it was about 2009, I started my own YouTube channel and a little little web show. And I did this with some of my, my, my friends at school. And yeah, we just go out and film, you know, what was now probably total rubbish, but, you know, <laughs> we'd be playing little silly games or you know, doing little sketches or, or whatever. And, and and that went on on YouTube. And yeah, that was kind of the the first time where I kind of published my work. And yeah, kind of until about 2013, I did, you know, various different sort of shows on, on YouTube and different little channels and stuff. And yeah, that, that was kind of my life. And the, the, the second show I did, um, or the second channel I set up was kind of designed as a kind of TV channel for teenagers. So we called it Teen TV. Mm-hmm. And I went out in the community and um, I've, I mean, looking back, it's not really stuff that kids should, you know, are probably interested in. But uh, yeah, we, we interviewed like bell ringers and we went to like village fates and um, all those kind of things that I could in, in my little village. And mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of interviewed people and stuck my, you know, stuck a microphone in the face of people and said, <laughs> you know uh, what you think and yeah I was like my own little mini journalist I guess out on the road and yeah just kind of got it online and it was a great way of kind of learning you know firstly you know the technical skills of you know editing and, and filmmaking but also you know socializing and and trying to because I think I, you know obviously I was I was very awkward when I was younger and uh yeah my social skills probably weren't as natural as as some people and then yeah being out on the road and you know actually using my obsession of, of filmmaking um yeah helped kind of develop my social skills I guess and so yeah by the time I got to about yeah 2013 I'd done you know quite a few hundred videos on, on YouTube some of them, some of which are still there um mm-hmm. which I, I don't look back at often I'll be honest um but yeah and then it kind of came to about 2014 I think it was where I started volunteering with a local charity uh, or it's actually a foundation they support different charities and it was with this lady who I'd met actually one of the village fates and we're still great friends today mm-hmm. now she was she's called Cheryl and uh, she runs the the Lisa May Foundation and very small charity it's literally just her and she needed someone somebody to help kind of make videos or basically improve uh, improve the digital side of their their foundation and you know give them some mm-hmm. additional uh, web support so I kind of made some videos uh, kind of showcasing what they're all about and that was the start of a kind of friendship which still continues to this day but we did you know until I came to, went to university yeah we, we spent all summers and and time off together filming for this this charity and um yeah just filming different events that they were doing so yeah it was a it was a real you know I was really lucky to meet Cheryl and, and again without her I don't know where I'd have turned up but uh yeah so I think volunteering is something that that really helped yeah mm-hmm. And if anyone's interested, the, the videos on your website are really good. So your website is nickransom.co.uk. So I'll put it in the like show description. No, it was really good. And I saw like all your like teen TV stuff and you were like interviewing vicars and mayors and stuff. Yeah, it was really yeah. good. It was, uh, it was funny watching back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it almost like a time capsule for you to look back yeah. and be like, section of my life <laughs> yeah it's, fun, it's funny looking back now I'm obviously older and, and I you know nowadays I do things totally differently but just the fact that I was out there you know making stuff I think and I say that to anyone who comes to me these days and says you know I want to be in your industry and I want to make tv or whatever and I'm like well the first thing you can do you know this cameras you know are relatively um cheap these days to the to the extent or you can film on your phone or you know it's, it's so easy to to shoot these days so that you can get almost anything out there but then I think you know the way I've benefited from you know watching a lot of tv and watching a lot of um content and kind of 
scrutinizing the detail of how things are put together and and that's really something i think that's that's benefited me as a kind of observational kind of eye when you're when you're watching or listening to programs so yeah being able to kind of and it's probably a slight autistic trait in in just kind of copying and masking as it were and kind of making do with what um you see around you and so yeah it's it's i think probably skills that you know help me in both my personal life and my professional life it's kind of copying but also learning and then developing it yourself um if you get me Mm-hmm. it's interesting as well to have that late diagnosis and look back on things and think oh, that's probably a kind of an autistic thing or having that perspective and just thinking oh actually that's probably it's <laughs> yeah. probably a trait but if it's you know if it's working for you in a positive way then mm. I think it's a, it's only a good thing <laughs> yeah you're right I mean that that's it I mean I think I'm you know I look back now and I think I'm so lucky to have known what I wanted to do from such a young age and there's you know I remember being at school and people were like oh I'm not sure what I want to do and I was like gosh I'm so blessed to be able to know that this is my obsession and this is this is what I'm going to do and this is this is what I'm going to put my heart and soul into and and you know videoing and, and filmmaking kind of you know was at the forefront of my my young life you know I wasn't somebody to go out with friends that much you know I said do bits with film or filming with them occasionally but no I had like one friend when I was at school really and um mm-hmm. yeah it was it was just kind of my whole focus so for it to now have evolved into the career I've got is is great you know and I'm I'm very lucky to to have it really yeah that's great and and how did you so kind of jumping forward from university how did you get your sort of first job within the industry hmm yeah, so I left university. Yeah, I, I continued to do a bit more volunteering. So yeah, uh, I'd, I'd done yeah bits of of filming for different businesses now because the the lady at the, the charity had had kind of introduced me to some of her business friends, and I'd done sort of videos for them, and I was starting to get paid for my work now, and that was that was great. So I was, yeah, I was starting to meet clients essentially and, and start making stuff mm-hmm. uh, and, and getting paid for it, which was amazing. And then yeah, I kind of did my my time at university, and I think it was my third year of university. I kind of it kind of hit home that if I want to be in the TV industry, I can't just keep filming my own stuff with you know businesses and stuff. I need to start you know meeting people in the industry and kind of evolve from a video production freelance kind of world to the television world and yeah in that final year of uni the university I was like right this is this is my time now to start making contacts and and meet people so I kind of yeah as as I do I went all out to try and meet people and you know and and kind of go to events and and get a sense of who the main players were in Manchester and yeah it was a good final year in, in the sense that I made a few contacts and then yeah when I left university and graduated it was a case where like I was now in in a flat in in Manchester and yeah I was I was you know I was on universal credit and I was all you know trying to trying to make do and then the first job mm-hmm. I actually got was at uh, BBC Children in Need which was a incredible experience I'd had about four months of looking and I've been up to Glasgow for a few different things and yeah, I wanted to stay in Manchester, uh, but yeah, this this social media assistant role at Children Need came up, and I was pretty knackered by of, of all the searching by this point. I was like, oh, I've done, I've searched for every single job, and I've I've got turned down so many times. And oh, then yeah. yeah, I applied for this social media role at, at Children Need, which was uh, kind of yeah working on their social media accounts during the, the 2018 appeal. And mm-hmm. yeah, I went for an interview, and I was I was blown away when when I got the phone call to say I was I had got it and. Yeah, a very emotional day to have finally made it into the BBC, which was, I think, when I was younger, you know, I could have only dreamed of, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that for about three months. And as is the way in this industry, yeah, you get a few months and then you kind of start again and look for another another job. And, yeah, I I, I, worked, I went to Children Need Rocks at Wembley Arena and filmed some stuff there. And uh, yeah, worked on uh, a duck ra- a duck race sweepstake that we were doing. So all just loads of daft stuff to do with fundraising. And I think you know the reason I got it was probably because I I volunteered with a charity and I'd kind of shown that you know um, I've got an interest in kind of obviously helping people and and also you know filmmaking and and digital media. So so yeah, that was that was three months and that took me to the end of t- 2018. And then by that point, I was in the BBC and much more able to kind of move around and and you know apply for internal jobs which is which is kind of how it works yeah okay that's interesting so once you kind of get your foot in the door a bit like mm. once you get kind of networking and it's I know like everyone says it's all about who you know but it, it really is yeah and that's <laughs> yeah. and that's the challenge I think for, for an autistic person really is that yeah mm. you can't really just 
apply on uh, merit and you can't well I mean there are obviously some jobs where, where you know and you always get a job you know dependent on what you can do but a lot of it is is meeting people I mean this this one that children need I'll be honest was one where I you know I applied for it on the, on the website and and you know had my interview and got it but the one I had after that so my next contract was at Radio Manchester and whilst I was at children need I kind of been speaking to a few people at Radio Manchester and uh, I ended up meeting, I think, the assistant editor. And then in, I think, a few days before that Christmas, so once I've left Children Need, uh, I, I got a phone call from the, the editor who said, well, we need somebody to do social media for us or, uh, you know, social media, you know, videos out in the field uh, for our, our, our website. Uh, so, no, our website, uh, for Facebook and, you know, and social media. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was blown away where, you know, it was like the best Christmas present ever. I was like, right, great. I've got work in January and things are starting to... <laughs> you know, take shape now. Uh, so yeah, I did that for three months and that was one where, yeah, I was out in the field interviewing people and, and kind of doing what I did when I was younger, really, which was, yeah, out there filming stories and capturing things. Uh, and I was actually editing, actually filming things in portrait at this point, which was a kind of new BBC standard, which was very strange. So I filmed things on my phone and edited it and yeah, it all went out um, on, on the Facebook page, which was, you know, quite a big audience that, you know, the BBC has obviously. So yeah. yeah that was that was very cool very cool oh wow it's it's really interesting to like hear how all the experience you've built up you know even like the like voluntary roles have really led to where you are mm. today and given you that like really strong foundation of just mm. like building up all these skills in like mm. video production as well as like producing as well it's really interesting yeah it's it's and no, it's funny it's funny how yeah it, it all comes together and uh yeah I think you life becomes so much easier when you've done it for a long time and there's just small things that you think oh yes I remember you know seven years mm-hmm. ago I, I did something a bit like that and you can kind of work it out but yeah it all comes down to experience and I think you know when I say to people that I've been making content since and that was you know my big selling point really when I was applying for jobs you know I've been making content since the age of 13 or you know whatever you know it's it's a great mm-hmm. way just to feel more comfortable at, at doing what you do and so as I say to anyone who wants to to do something similar I just say make content on um you know just film stuff and and be experimental in the, in the world that you want to want to do so uh so yeah um so I was at Radio Manchester and then I moved to a question of sport which is my first kind of tv experience and mm-hmm. I was a runner on that uh which was uh, it's kind of the baseline you know kind of entry role uh where you're kind of helping out and you know we got a lot of responsibility on that that program where I was able to go out and film with sports stars and I was in the studio helping out and so yeah oh, that, was, that was great and then uh I moved to bite size uh, in, in the education department so that was kind of working on the website uh, and then when the pandemic hit I was moved to the the Bite Size Daily uh, Educational Service Programme, which I think is just about to come back, actually, on BBC Two next week. Um, but the... Yeah, yeah so I, I helped kind of... I was a VC researcher on that. And so, yeah, I should say my first... It was my first research accredit at, at Bite Size. So I think I, I was so stunned to have moved up so quickly, really. Uh, you know, mm. most people are runners for maybe, like, two or three years, perhaps. And obviously, I'd done, you know, a lot of entry-level roles, but I'd only been a runner really on a question of sport and, and doing a few sort of days here and there for other other companies outside. But, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I was a researcher, and, and that is kind of really the place to be because you've got a bit of responsibility, but you're not really, you know, you're not in the forefront of leading the show, are you? So, uh, so yeah, that was that was until about July when, you know, we were in the midst of the pandemic and I was, I was helping out on that. And then it was a case where, yeah, the BBC, you know, understandably have got to be, you know, really careful with their money. And I think that naturally filtered down to the bottom of the chain where perhaps there were less entry level roles. And, you know, it's very difficult to find find roles regardless of the BBC. You know, there's very few runner and researcher roles advertised on their website. So, yeah, it came to July and I was, lit, you know, it wasn't anyone's fault or anything. It was just naturally no more work came up. And, you know, uh, there was a recruitment freeze at the BBC. So I had to basically go right okay I've kind of been written out the script here let's let's go and find other companies to work for and since then yeah I've gone to work for kind of independent companies who who still produce content for the BBC and Channel 4 and all the main broadcasters but yeah they're Mm -hmm. they're independent companies so yeah that's kind of I'd like to think a a quick overview hopefully that was great (laughs) overview of what I've been doing yeah (laughs) wow um yeah that's really interesting um I don't, I'm trying to trying to think of my next question because there's so, so much time there. Um, so how how are you finding it sort of present day now with the pandemic? How is it affecting what you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the industry has been 
been kind of wiped out, you know, by the fact that, you know, that broadcasters are spending less and therefore there's mm. less work for people. But for me, I mean, in 2020, I was, I was relatively lucky. Um, as I say, I left Bite Size in July and then kind of August and September was kind of spent, uh, you know, trying to find work outside the BBC. So, I, you know, I think when I left, I was like, oh, okay, my contacts are fairly strong outside the BBC. And then I kind of was out and went, ah, okay, maybe they're not as strong as I thought. <laughs> and it was a case where, yeah, I spent two months emailing, you know, people left, right and centre and saying, you know, I've worked for the BBC for two years. This is what I'm all about. Um, and yeah, it got to September and I was introduced to a company. Uh, well, no, I came across a company, you know, probably whilst I was at the BBC, but they're called Studio Lambert. They produce things like Gogglebox and The Circle and uh, Race Across the World and uh, mm-hmm. loads of different things. Um, but they said to me, we're making a new series of Naked Attraction. <laughs> Do you want to work on this programme? Which is quite X-rated, I should say. So I, will, I won't give you too, too many details. But um, yeah, I, I luckily was out on location doing the date. So after they've played a little game, should we say, in, in the studio, uh, <laughs> then then they go out on a date and they see each other with, with clothes on, should we say. <laughs> and yeah. um, and yeah, so I was responsible for, for helping out on that and, you know, all the COVID protocols, which are so important now in the, in the industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of my first kind of job outside of the BBC. And then I did a few days here and there at, you know, other companies on, you know, small uh, kind of documentaries. And then it got to, I think, probably about October. Yeah, it was after my birthday in October where um, I managed to get a role with a company called Purple, who are, who are you know, fairly new and they're, they produce kind of document factual entertainment programs um and so i did i think uh was it seven weeks on a documentary around t-bay services which is a motorway service station on the m6 which i think when i initially heard i was like right a service station let me try and get my head around this um but actually it was so t-bay services are on the m6 they're in cumbria they're in they're kind of on the edge of the lake district and essentially they're a family-run business so most service stations are you know kind of owned by corporates and all this but this mm. is you know a, a service station it's very unique very sort of um yeah fancy and and yeah it was it was great so I I wasn't out on location on that but I was I was kind of helping out from home kind of organized things um and so that was that was a great one and then from that I then landed the role which I've got now which is on a documentary again for channel uh, that was both for channel four these two and Mm -hmm. they uh so the production manager who who kind of oversees the logistics and the budgets and kind of runs the you know the day-to-day health and safety logistics of, of of a program um, their partner worked in telly uh, at, a, at, a, at a company in Manchester um, or who were filming in Manchester. And, and, and yeah, so I was invited onto that. And so the current program I want, sorry, it's not filmed in Manchester. It's actually filmed in Birmingham uh, or the West Midlands, I should say. And okay. this is around, uh, yeah, young people essentially. And it's kind of a school kind of documentary series um, around, yeah, how they're facing the pandemic and what it's like. And it's in an area called Dudley, which is kind of in, yeah, so it's, it's kind of around Wolverhampton. And yeah, it's an area which um, has gone through a lot of change and, you know, very diverse sort of area. So there's, there's lots of stories there. And so this is, it's, I think it's supposed to be yeah, six parts and it's going to air this year sometime. And yeah, so we're kind of interviewing children and filming them at school and then filming them at home when, they, when they're not in school because of, uh, because of COVID. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm on now. And yeah, it's been great. I've loved every, loved every second, really. Wow. It, it's so interesting to hear the kind of mix of things you've been working on and mm. how, I don't know, you're actively having to constantly be kind of on it in terms of searching for a job. Yeah, it's it's the, what surprises me is the amount that you've got to email people in this industry. And I'm, I'm sure when this contract comes to an end in February that, you know, I'll be back on my emails and trying to, trying to land my next role. But I think, yeah, that, that's the thing that you've got to do is constantly be on on top of your contacts and, and saying, oh, look, I'm now available. Can, you know, and something just tends to turn up unbelievably. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a, yeah, it's been a very strong 2020 really. And, and I'm lucky to have found, found work when there's been so many people out of work because of the, the industry, uh, because of the, the, the pandemic. So yeah. And, and we're lucky that TV can carry on because there's lots, obviously lots of industries, you know, hospitality, mm-hmm. et cetera, that, that can't continue because of the pandemic. And, you know, we have obviously all of our, you know, rules in place to, to prevent any um, transmission as best we can but yeah it's it's been a very yeah been a very strange year but one that you know I'm, I'm very lucky to have had really yeah yeah it sounds like you've done some amazing things and you know getting your credits here and there mm. like you know researcher and stuff like that mm. that's great mm. um, 
and it all adds to your CV at the end of the day. Of course, yeah. It's um, yeah, it's always evolving. I've never updated my CV so much in my life. Literally, every few months, you're just constantly, yeah, moving it on. <laughs> Sounds like maybe every day is a bit different for you, or you know, maybe every month is a bit different for you. How do you cope, kind of autism-wise, in terms of change? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the change and stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a tough one um, because I think. You know, in my domestic life, so personally, when I'm, you know, I've got time off, any sort of change or, or stuff like that really stresses me out, I think. But actually, when I'm in work, the, the idea of changing contracts and going different places and whatever and working different days of the week just doesn't faze me at all. I think it's because, you know, my priority and my obsession is is making telly. So any sort of chaos that comes around it, I just deal with very well, surprisingly. Um and then, yeah, in, in my personal life, if plans change or a friend pulls out or something like that, or, um, you know, even even something changes in the flat or, you know, something like that, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll get quite annoyed. I think probably because there's less pressure, I guess, and therefore um, it's probably less pressure, or sorry, more pressure in the workplace. So I, I, I kind of like, right, this is supposed to be hard. This is supposed to be, you know, stressful. And so I'm, I kind of naturally take it in my stride, maybe. And then when I'm at home, when there, there's there's kind of no pressure for life to be stressful, I, I kind of get more stressed, um, yeah. which I guess is maybe an autistic autistic way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I, I get what you mean. Your job is your passion, basically, mm. and the fact that you can deal with change within that just shows how committed you are and how you know involved you are in mm. in that passion. But I'm totally with you on the whole kind of on a personal level. Mm. It's the little things that kind of wind you up trip you up yeah you're right I think I mean like the other the other week so I've I've been so yeah this is this contract I'm on now on this documentary at at this school uh it was the first one where I've really been out on location and um I've been confined to working from home now but when you know kind of during December I was out on location a lot and there was you know quite a few occasions in December where I was having to kind of come back and forth to Manchester and yeah I'd obviously be packing bags and making sure I've got everything And, and that's probably the most stressful thing is making sure that you're prepared enough for when you're away and and so yeah you know writing a list and trying to just you know keep life moving along during all the chaos is sometimes yeah a little stressful so yeah but I think you know you you learn to learn to deal with it and yeah I'm so you know I look forward to being out on location and meeting the team or or doing my job that it's just it just doesn't really become that big an issue you just kind of put up with it because it's so much um so much so much fun and yeah it's Honestly, it's 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 honestly a dream come true in, in the sense that, you know, this this program I'm making now and the the efforts I'm going to now to kind of help with the the editing of the program and kind of just helping with the whole organisation of things is is so satisfying. I think uh, when you when you see it on TV and and when it comes around, I think it's going to be kind of September time. I'm guessing this this program that okay. yeah, it, it's you know when you see your name come up and it's just like. There's, there's no feeling like it it's just incredible to see your name roll up to knowing that you know potentially millions of people out there watching watching it and, and enjoying what what you've made is just it's crazy it's crazy yeah that's huge I mean how exciting to see your your mm. name in the credits mm. like you know, I can only imagine how exciting that is <laughs> yeah it's very surreal very surreal <laughs> how have you found as you've been going between freelance and contract jobs how have you found people react you know to kind of neurodiversity and have you have you come into contact with other like autistic people working in the industry is there much of a diverse range of people you're coming into contact yeah, with there's, there's 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 a few I think I've probably come across maybe well I mean yeah I've probably come across maybe at least three or four autistic people that I can think of off, off the top of my head and yeah that so that yeah we do exist in the industry there's it's not just me but um yeah I think there definitely needs to be more and because it's an industry that relies so much on social interaction and networking naturally it discriminates people of of our um yeah ability I guess so yeah it's it's a tricky one but yeah I mean when I'm moving between contracts the main challenge for me I guess is is time off like I love being busy like if I've got an empty day in the diary that's quite quite painful for me because it feels not feels like I've failed but it, it feels like oh I should be you know I should be doing something and I'm I'm somebody that gets bored very easily on, when I've got time off so yeah it's that time off where between contracts is is the most painful because obviously you've got no money coming in and mm-hmm. you know you're thinking right okay I've now got to play a bit more safe in terms of you know financially and um you're like, why is no one responding to my emails? Like, you know, they said this contract, you know, would be happening and they've not got back to me or, you know, all these things. So it becomes, 
yeah, most stressful when I'm out of work, but when I'm in work and, you know, you know, you're making a show and there's such a, you know, such logic to, to TV that, you know, this is how things are done. And obviously things change and things go wrong all the time, but you know, you, you, you naturally, you know, there's a process for dealing with them. So it's, it's, I'm not saying working in the industry is easy, but I'm saying for me, I can deal with it better because I know there's usually a solution to everything or, or there's an option or, um, you know, this is just how we'll have to do it. Whereas in, mm-hmm yeah life outside it's just you know I think that the, the time off and and the 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 fact you're sat in your house trying to find work and you've got to sort of organize your own life um and you know organize your day and organize how things how you're going to find work it becomes you know I think a bit more pressure on you and therefore becomes a bit more stressful and yeah because because for now I mean I just perform perform my job really whereas when I'm out of work it's right I've got to find a job and I'm, I'm on my own and this is down to me kind of thing so yeah, that's that's kind of the transition um, that I, I face. But as I say, I'm you know most of the time it's usually a few weeks between things where you'll you'll be emailing a week and then something might come up and then it doesn't happen and then the following day you get something. So yeah, sometimes it's it's just waiting for the right right moment really. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. hmm. I can I can definitely relate to what you're saying about sort of time off or just like having time out. I mean. I know when I have a, like a day off or a day where I don't need to do any work, I just not having that structure and routine of knowing what I'm doing mm. is it just kind of leaves you in the lurch a bit. Mm. And just knowing, you know, you'll be working for this amount of set time ahead of you is nice to know. Yeah. So, yeah. And even like weekends, like it's just nice to have some sort of structure about things. And especially at the moment during the pandemic when there's literally nothing you can do apart from sitting in your house um, mm. and maybe go for a walk you know it's quite like oh gosh now what do I do you know so I think it's it's just learning I think learning about yourself is the most critical thing and and I've got a little um I've been writing a diary since like April I think so when the pandemic started there was obviously quite an intense time and I thought you know what I'm gonna write a a journal entry every day in my phone and so I have done on this little app I've, I've kind of got so yeah I think you just find other ways around it and so yeah, you, you've got to, and, and that's where, you know, I can kind of reflect on, on how things are going or why I'm struggling or what needs to, what I need to do better. And so, yeah, self-development, I think is, is critical. I think when you're, you're autistic and or when you're neurodiverse and, and kind of learn and, and generally, really, I mean, I, I say to anyone, whether it's neurodiverse or not, you know, the more you know about yourself, the better you'll be because the better you'll be able to adapt to, to life and challenges and, you know, put things in place to be able to, to change things. So yeah, that, that's quite important. Yeah. I know you're quite an advocate in terms of kind of diversity and creating a kind of equal workplace. Mm. Is there any accommodations or support that you think people who are neurodiverse or have hidden disabilities might benefit from or that the industry could be more aware of? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's you know, it's hugely important. I mean, I know when I was at the BBC, there was and there still is today um, a lot of effort going into making sure that interviews are are kind of neurodiverse friendly. So, you know, this whole thing of reasonable um, adjustments is something that you know kind of comes up a lot but what is a reasonable adjustment there's still quite a lot of questions over it but you know I think there's there's talk about interviews potentially being done even just walking around the building or or walking outside and just telling you know getting to know people and it being less formal so I think even in the highest office in or highest broadcaster in the land that you know there are efforts to, to change things but I think it's it's not just the big companies that need to need to change it's also the smaller companies and um yeah obviously you're asked in in regards to do you have a, a disability that may affect your ability to carry out this work and all this and you can say yes but then I think that the best thing uh, the thing that stands out to me from my three years in the industry so far was when I joined Bite Size uh, in the education department at the BBC and it was forget the the organization it was somebody that came to me and said um I, I see that you've you've got autism or um I, re- I read that you, you you have autism how can I help what what what's the best way that I can I can help you work and I thought that was just the most fantastic way of approaching things and saying right I don't quite know all the ins and outs of autism but how can I put put you first kind of thing yeah. um so so that was and, and I, th- I think I'd like to see I'd like to see more of that and so um mm. you know and even the other day when I was out on location somebody said quite nervously um Nick I read I read you've got autism um is there is there something I don't know it's just kind of said can you tell me more about it and I was like I can tell he was nervous asking that question and he was like have I asked have I asked that the right way and I was like literally don't panic because the fact you've asked is great because it's it's allowing me to kind of talk to you about it and educate you about it and so 
yeah. yeah, I think honestly, people just need to ask questions and not be afraid to approach the subject because for me, I'm just like, you know, I'm happy to tell you everything about it. I mean, there'll obviously be some people who are a little bit more, you know, still get to know themselves. Um, but, but yeah, I think I don't feel afraid to ask people about it because, um, you know, even if you just say, how can I help? That's, that's the best way I think of, of approaching it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just like, just being able to have an open conversation with a colleague is quite nice. Yeah. And like you say, just being asked, you know, specifically for you, because mm. we are all so different. What, you know, what could help you in terms of, you know, if someone asked me that and I was working in an open plan office, I'd be able to give them a, a big list of things. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just being asked is not as, you know, it's it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that, well, actually, yeah, when I was, when I was, uh, and I actually took them up on it in the end, because initially I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, I really, really appreciate you asking. And then mm. I was, I was moved desk and I don't know what it was. It just threw me slightly. And I was a bit like, and, and because it's hot desking at the BBC where, you know, you're supposed to move about. For me, it was just an extra challenge of visually seeing something different every day. And it just added an extra stress I didn't need. <laughs> and so I said to them, is there any chance that I could have my own desk? And they all had a big think about it. And I was thinking they're going to come back and say, no, this is the BBC policy or something like that. And and incredibly, the, the, the lady who was in charge of the department said, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. And what they did is they put a little note on the desk that said oh this is Nick's desk and I was like fabulous um <laughs> and yeah it was so I mean that that's obviously in the BBC which is obviously a very unique environment but I think it there just needs to be a you know how can we help you because you know these aren't big you know usually they're not very big things we're asking about I mean we're not asking them to you know do a whole change around and refurbishment of the office and do a whole feng shui thing. You know, we're asking them to, you know, usually just, you know, like open a window or shut the window or, you know, turn off that noise or, you know, something like that. So it's, it's, it shouldn't be that big a deal really. Um, so, so yeah, I think, and, and that's why I kind of, you know, the more we talk about it and the more we, um, you know, educate people about, about neurodiversity, then the easier life will become because everyone will understand each other better. Really. It's not, it's not that tricky really. I don't think. Mm. And like you say, we're not asking for the world. It is, I think the word like, you know, reasonable adjustments or accommodations, it sounds like we need our own office, which would be great. It would but, be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I think, you know, we're yeah. not asking for the world. We're asking for a desk that is just ours or something like that, which is, you know, it's it's little in the grand scheme of things, yeah, isn't Yeah, I mean, it? yeah, bigger picture. I mean, and, and, and what people don't seem to recognise perhaps is that, if you make that reasonable adjustment, you can have somebody who's absolutely on fire with their work. And like, mm. like for me, I mean, so I'd like to think my, my, one of my main strengths is kind of video editing. And so I'm, I'm quite, well, even just being on the computer generally, I'd like to think I'm quite fast on, on the keys and, and the math and stuff. So yeah, like I think when you, you put somebody in their position where they're comfortable, they're naturally going to obviously do, do better at their work. And so, you know, you know, or autistic people and neurodiverse people have such talents um, available to them because of their obsession or their interest or something that that means actually if you put them in the right environment, they will absolutely you know work harder than anyone else. They'll stay late and you know they'll you know you get so much more and you'll actually reap the benefits of it. So mm-hmm. I think it's so worthwhile you know making the effort. Um, I really you know I really do. Yeah, exactly. You'll get you know better better work output and a happier employee generally so nothing really to lose is there (laughs) exactly exactly so why don't you mention where people can find you online because we've mentioned your website but I didn't know if there were other kind of links you wanted to mention yeah I mean the website's kind of main place yeah nickransom.co.uk that's r-a-n with an n s-o-m uh with an m because people always write that the wrong way around uh .co.uk and (laughs) yes I'm on twitter as well mr nick ransom uh but yeah so that's that's kind of yeah, my work work life, but yeah, I mean, yeah, my website's usually the, the main main place to to go. Yeah, for all for all my work related stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And so you've got this contract that you're doing now until February. Is that is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's that's till February. So yeah, I'm I'm on this Channel Four documentary uh, around uh, yeah school in, in in Dudley in the West Midlands until the end of February. So that's kind of my focus focus now. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, and what what's been great is over the last few years. Um, a lot of a lot of my employers have said, you know, if, if something's come up or um, you know, there's been somebody's, you know, a charity's got in touch and asked me to speak to their, you know, autistic kids or something, like that, I'll, I'll try and make the effort to to, to you know um, to do it because, you know, I know the benefits of of having some, you know, when I was younger, if somebody coming in and said, oh, I'm like this and this is what I've achieved, mm-hmm. you know, it can really help. So, um, so yeah, I think 
yeah, I, I try and make the effort when I can. And obviously I try not to take the mic with my employers, but, you know, and, and they've been very, very lovely in, in accommodating at these, these various events that I often get asked to. So, yeah, um, but as I say, I think, yeah, artistically and, and work-wise, it's, it's not a massive, massive issue for me. I think it's something I can sort of deal with rather well. It's more in my, yeah, domestic life where <laughs> things go a bit more, bit more downhill, yeah. Well, definitely, it sounds like, just from talking to you for this past hour, mm. that you've really found your calling and your passion in life mm. and that you're you're putting all your effort and your enthusiasm into it, which mm. is it's so great to hear. Mm. And to hear that you had a autism diagnosis, even though it was late in life, it was kind of turned around in six months, which is great to hear because mm. usually it's a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and just to hear that people have been supporting mm. you throughout you work life is really refreshing to hear because it's not something unfortunately I always hear on this podcast yeah I know what you're saying I think for, for me like you know I may have presented the perfect perfect life here but it, it's it's recognized just perspective I think and for me like so I struggle with kind of OCD a lot around my relationship and um I think they call it relationship OCD but it comes down to like okay that's a problem I'm facing right now but when you think about it the bigger picture like that that's just one area of my life and I actually over Christmas I made a little pie chart of all the things which kind of you know make up my life and kind of helps mm. put things in perspective so if you're worrying about one thing or you're obsessing about one thought then actually you can go right well hold on a sec this is only one part of my life let's go and do something else let's go and you know um do some work or let's go for a walk or you know let's speak to my family or you know something like that so I think yeah, it's just perspective. I think everything is perspective. And I think especially when you're autistic or you've got OCD, it's it's getting a, a yeah, perspective on on just, you know, your life and, and what I'm actually seeing. And, and trying to keep perspective is just my biggest challenge, really. <laughs> That's all I all I try and, and do every day. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Because like you say, work and personal life, you try and kind of keep them separate and coming home and stuff like that, or like being at home and working from home at the same time like stuff kind of feels a bit more merged now than it ever had sort of before yeah. so like you say keeping that perspective and knowing when to take yourself off for a walk or just to get some headspace is really is really useful yeah and I think you know obviously during the pandemic like I've been been working from home a lot and it's strange when you know your partner's sort of in the same room as you when you're working and you know can create you know a little bit more intensity in, in the in the flat but actually you know I think it's trying to recognise um, at the moment that we are, <laughs> we're in totally, and it's the word, isn't it, unprecedented. We're in unprecedented times and this will end at some point and life will, you know, resort to some new mm. normality soon. Um, so I think it's, yeah, if you're struggling with something at the moment, maybe question, oh, is this a result of the pandemic that I'm facing this? Will this ever, will this be a lifelong thing? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just, yeah, and that's why writing things down helps because, you know, you work things out quite quickly, I think, uh, when you write stuff down and you can kind of see, oh, right, that's happened because that's happened. And um, so, yeah, I mean, my two bits of advice is, is write stuff down and kind of consider whether your um, stress or anxiety is, is due to the pandemic. And, yeah, it's just tr trying to get as much perspective as you can. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I say. Well, I think we'll end on that note. We'll end on your advice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for joining me and giving up um some of your saturday to talk to me um and it's been really interesting to hear your entire journey from um childhood right the way till now so thank you very much thanks it's been great i mean uh, yeah i'm very impressed with, with obviously all you do on your, your instagram and uh, yeah it's great to be been on your, your podcast so uh, wishing you all and all your listeners uh, a great 2021 thank you likewise with you i i'll um, definitely be looking out for that documentary <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye.